Today is Miriam. She's one of four women God used to save the life of baby Moses. Now, what do we know about her? Bon, this is crazy. But a lot of scholars say she was only seven years old. Seven? Yes. At this pivotal moment when she puts her little brother in the Nile. That's even more powerful when you think about it. Right. So picture her that young. She's living in a Hebrew ghetto in Egypt. Her people are slaves in Egypt. So her family would have been poor. She has a three-year-old little brother named Aaron. And now she has another little brother named Moses. He's three months old. So we imagine she would have been responsible for helping her mom around the house, taking care of her little brothers. Now, this wouldn't be a big deal under normal circumstances, but nothing about her life is normal. (laughs) The Pharaoh of Egypt is killing every newborn male of the Hebrew people. Exodus 2 verse 4 gives us our first glimpse at this big sister who's seven years old. (laughs) I'm struck too by how young they were, seven, three, and three months. That's a lot of noise in one house. (laughs) (laughs) But as the firstborn, she can sense the daily tension and fear, even as a little girl, that her parents would have had as they whispered and schemed about how to keep their youngest son alive. But it's becoming more and more impossible to keep baby Moses as a secret from the government police. When I think about I have at this point of recording a six-month old grandson. I can't imagine trying to keep him quiet. You know, so this wide-eyed little little Miriam watches her courageous mother as she gathers tar and bulrushes and brings them into the house. Now, in her mother's skillful hand, these bulrushes become a tiny ark. That just blows me away. And so, the only other place in scripture where ark is used yes. 
is when Noah, Noah is building his. Yeah, it's just another theme in the word, in the ark. The ark of salvation. Yes. And so the mother, Jacobed, and her little seven-year-old daughter are fighting back tears as they place this three-month-old little baby, Moses, into a basket. And without drawing attention to themselves, which is another thing, what in the world did they do? They <laughs> walk to the banks of the River Nile, and Miriam watches her mom put this tiny boat into the water. That would not be a comforting sight. I just can't picture no. Really, but according to their plan, Jacobed walks away. Can't imagine. And then Exodus two four says, "And his sister stood at a distance to find out what would happen to him. What, what has happened to my brother? What a babysitting job! What a babysitting job is right. I'm sure we have listeners." with personal experience. Oh, brother, yes. Babysitting, or you've been paid to watch someone else's kids. It's a job that can feel overwhelming, to say the least. I have a memory of, I'm eight years older than my youngest brother, Tim, and I was often his babysitter. And I remember <laughs> once mom and dad were gone and Tim got into the medicine cabinet in the downstairs bathroom and had, you remember Merthiolet? Or iodine? iodine. Yeah, yes. it was that yes. pinkish iodine. thing yes. that you put on a cut. He got into it and uh, I I found him in the bathroom. He's covered with it. And I know I'm old enough to know it's poison. So I'm thinking, did he drink any of it? I was just going to say, did you see any in his mouth? I couldn't tell if he drank any of it or not. So I I think in my little child brain, I think, salt water. I'll try to help him vomit. (laughs) Salt water might might have made him vomit. How old was he? Three? Oh, one. One. (gasps) Two. He was old enough to crawl around and reach up into the medicine cabinet and get this out to play in it. And I remember thinking, oh my goodness, is he going to die? And yeah. thankfully, mom and yeah. dad came home and yeah. Tim is still with us. Oh, yes. yes. Maybe and somehow knowing Tim, I can picture him doing that. <laughs> but I remember my brother, I'm three years older than my brother, and for a very short time in history, I was taller and bigger. He is he is a strapping <laughs> six foot four. Wonderful he, he's taller than you. I didn't realize oh, that. Oh, so much taller. He's awesome. But at this point in my life, I was about five and I would love to scare him so I would play monster and you scare the heck out of him and he backed into this corner like that angle right where you you back in he squunched his shoulders together and I wrote at him and he he snapped his collarbone so it broke his collarbone so to this day I am I am mercilessly teased about breaking my strapping six foot four brother's collarbone but very quickly he outgrew me but um yeah it's it's a crazy thing to be responsible for somebody's child but we're looking at probably the hardest strangest babysitting job anybody ever had. So Miriam is a seven-year-old little girl standing over Moses as he floats in the River Nile. That's a whole new level of responsibility. Um, She could not possibly have known, thank God, that the future of the Hebrew race and the future of the salvation of the world would rest on her little shoulders. Isn't that like God to use small children like that. Um, we wonder what this little seven-year-old, you know, if she resented having to watch him, maybe? Could I don't have. know. Was she standing in the water at some point? How deep was the water? Was she barefoot? She had to be scared. I mean, what was she thinking? This was my mom's idea. Why am I stuck here? What am I going to do if a crocodile swims by? Right. So maybe Miriam was excited to be part of this plan that included breaking the law of the land and outwitting the spies and defying this crazy pharaoh. Maybe she was thinking, 
hey, nobody's going to hurt my little brother on my watch. You know, maybe that was courageous mm-hmm. kind of thought that would that had to kill me first. But Miriam had seen, she had to have seen other baby brothers murdered, little boys. She had to have heard the crying of Hebrew mothers in their neighborhood mourning the deaths of their tiny children. Mm-hmm. She had been way too early in her life surrounded by a lot of grief, but she was the firstborn. So here was her little, her little heart's chance to declare something about herself from this moment forward. And like her brave mother, Jacobed, she stepped up. Miriam was not going to lose a baby brother on her watch. She had to grow up fast. (sighs) Way too fast. So, okay, what are bulrushes? What were they like along the Nile? They were 10 to 15 feet tall. They could be as thick as three inches. So we need to get out of our minds those lovely little pussy willow things, you know, we put yeah, in dried flower arrangements. But right. bulrushes were tall and thick. So Miriam hiked up her little skirts and with legs and heart of steel. Oh my goodness. She waded in and she kept watch. We don't know how long she waited, but things ramped up and got more interesting. Mm-hmm. Baby Moses started to cry. Now that could be bad. Oh my goodness. On the other hand, it could be perfect. Moses unknowingly timed his cries perfectly because at that moment moment a very special little girl came down to take a bath yes and get this you guys get this listeners this has just been so fun for us to research the princess was the daughter of tut moses the first now he had several daughters but historians believe that this little girl that was the princess was named Hatshepsut. Is that right, name? Yeah, Hatshepsut. Hatshepsut. And um, the Egyptians, now Hatshepsut would have been maybe about the same age. Close to Miriam's age. Close to Miriam's age. So two little girls are gonna, about to meet themselves each other in the River <laughs> Nile with this little basket. Uh, the Egyptians thought that the waters of the Nile were sacred. So the princess would have been coming there to perform some sort of, sort of religious duty, or she could have just, that's where she took a bath. But whatever the reason was, she got in the water and heard baby Moses crying. So as Miriam stood guard in the bulrushes, the princess sent one of her maids to find out what that little noise was going <laughs> on over there. And the servant came back carrying a tiny basket. So picture this. The princess opens the little ark. She pulls back the covers and finds a baby. <laughs> then did she pull off the diaper to see if it was a boy or a girl? And it's not hmm. just any boy, but it's a circumcised boy. So she knows, if she knows this at the time, this is a Hebrew baby boy. Now, what is Miriam thinking? Her heart is pounding. She's wondering, will this princess toss her baby brother into the Nile? The secret's out. He's a Hebrew. We wonder, did Hatshepsut know what was at stake? Did she know her father's law? This baby should be killed, according to her father's law. Something rises up in her and makes her want to keep this baby. Now, (laughs) did she look at Moses as possibly a new toy? (laughs) Did she find some kind of rebellious enjoyment at the idea of defying her father's edict? We don't know but we love to speculate. Yes, we do. We (laughs) sure do love to speculate. And think about it too, Nan, like saying you're going to kill a child would be one thing, but to actually open a little basket and look into the eyes of a three-month-old baby and realize that you're supposed to kill it would be another. Yes. You know, so the reality of it may have really set in for her. Yeah. But whatever it was, she had chutzpah. Something in her heart was drawn to him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, No matter what her personal motives were, she obviously was tapped on the shoulder in the sovereignty of God to carry out God's will for Moses' life, whether she knew what she was doing or not. So did Jacobin tell Miriam 
specifically what to do if somebody found the basket? Like, I wonder about that. It kind of looks like it was all talked through, maybe around the dinner table or something was they, planned out. They had to have a plan. They had to. Especially if everybody knew that the princess would come to this part of the river. They sent baby Moses into the direction of danger. We talked about that in the Jacobet episode. They sent the basket into the area where the princess would bathe, and Miriam was waiting in the bulrushes, and she saw Hatshepsut melt at the sight of her little brother, because she knew that would happen. Oh, an exhale of relief must have happened. And then Miriam made her move. She stepped out of her hiding place and had the nerve to speak to Egyptian royalty with a bold question. Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse this baby for you? This is a, a classic strategy, but it could have failed miserably. So was Miriam breaking some royal protocol by even looking into the eyes of a princess? Was it okay to speak to royalty? And by coming out of hiding, she was admitting that she was illegally hiding a Hebrew male child. It could have all backfired. And it, it was truly a gamble with very high stakes. I mean, here, here's, let's think it through. Here are some implications to her question. You know, shall I go find a nurse? To involve the princess would be implying she was going to take care of the baby. To involve a Hebrew woman to nurse him would involve her mother and reveal Jochebed as a lawbreaker. And by involving Jochebed, the princess, and Miriam, this would link them all together as co-conspirators in a dangerous situation. You know, for anybody that thinks the Bible is boring... <laughs> Get a load of how juicy and delicate and exciting the story is. Unless, of course, you may be living in the middle of it, <laughs> right. as Miriam was. She was at seven years old, a little girl, a go-between for a desperate mama and a powerful member of a royal family. It's That's quite a position for a little girl to be caught up in. But Miriam seems to be up to the task because what does this say about how her parents raised her? I think about this so often. Good point. She had to have a lot of respect for them. You know, she, she didn't, it doesn't tell us that she pushed against this, you know. She followed what they told her to do. Right. She knew the story. Surely they talked to her about Noah and the ark, and they're, they're making a little ark. Amram and Jacobet had raised Miriam to trust Yah. She watched her parents make hard choices. She watched her family live out their faith every day. Now Miriam is going to carry that faith into her generation. She certainly did. And what seemed to be a typical, ordinary day for a royal little girl turned out to be a pivotal moment in history. What began as another miserable day of slavery and fear for a mother and daughter turned out to be a day of eternal destiny. What were the royal attendants of Hatshepsut thinking as they watched this interchange between the princess and a slave girl? Did anyone know that world events shifted that day all because of a tiny helpless baby? No, of course not. Miriam was simply obeying her mother. The princess, obviously, was moved by the unseen hand of God at work on behalf of his people. You know, these Old Testament stories, they're dramatic and they're fun to study. But we're going to miss the point of all of this if we don't see that God is still making these miraculous connections between people now. So as women that are listening, as you're going about your daily routine of your lives, 
without thinking about the eternal significance of them, they can just feel so tedious and hard. But you probably, you're not going to go down a river today and take a bath and find a baby in a basket. (laughs) But you're going to have conversations today with people at a grocery, somebody you haven't met before, or a gas station, or your workplace. And many of these people are going to be searching for meaning in their existence, especially in the times we're living in right now. Yes. Some, a lot of people, I would venture to say, are going to be hopeless about what's going on around us. Every one of them are going to need encouragement of some kind. So God may be placing in you right now at the right time and the right place, the right words you're going to say to give hope, to talk about Jesus to somebody. And that could be a pivotal, ordinary day conversation is what it looks like Mm -hmm. that changes the course of a person's story forever. No, this is not an overstatement. This is absolutely the truth because God is sovereignly in control always of the details of the universe. He is working everything out according to his good pleasure. And he, for some glorious reason, delights to use women in the process. Hallelujah. Amen. (laughs) Throughout world history, he has always used women to accomplish his purposes on the earth. Isn't that a beautiful thing to think about, especially in light of all the rhetoric right now about feminism and women not having enough respect? God has always used women to accomplish his will. So back to our sweet little Miriam. She has had a messy, risky, very risky job. And she may not know it at the time, but when her little three-month-old brother grows up, he is going to lead the Hebrew people into the desert and out of slavery. In the future, her life is going to once again be one of serving him. She will serve and lead beside Moses and her big brother, Aaron. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm sure many times in her future, she's going to have mixed emotions about what happened that day, you know, how she felt about it and being his big sister. Because in the coming years, as Moses leads the people in the nation of Israel, Miriam is faced with a lot of danger and challenges as the eldest sibling, as the oldest in the family of the children. I mean, Moses and Aaron were definitely the ones that were in the limelight and getting all the spotlight. Mm -hmm. So she might have felt, I don't know, we don't know. She might have felt normally a little bit overlooked. I mean, when Moses was in full power as the leader of Israel, she might have said, hey, Uh, Over here, remember me? I changed your diapers. I risked my life one day getting in there with the crocodiles for Pete's sake. I mean, if it wasn't for me, your little behind would not, your little behind might still be stuck in the bulrushes. So show me a little respect. I mean, I love the thought of how that Miriam, you know, might have said, you know, I changed your diapers, guys. And um, I wanted to just read something right now about changing diapers to all the women out there that are in the tedious everyday position of changing diapers and burping babies and going, what am I doing? Should I have done this to my life? um, This is from a beautiful book called Every Moment Holy. You can order this at the Rabbit Room online. But I just want to read this over you. Ah, Lord, what a mess we sometimes make of our lives. What a tragic comedy is even our most sincere attempt to merit righteousness on our own. We are no more able to render ourselves holy than this little baby is to keep itself unsoiled. I am as dependent upon your grace and your own righteousness, O Christ, to justify and make me clean as this little one is dependent upon me to wash the residue of filth from its skin, wrapping it again in soft and freshly laundered garments. Let me not be frustrated by the constant repetition of this necessary act on behalf of a child. Rather, let the daily doing of this be a reminder to me of the constant cleansing, the covering of my own sin, 
and that I, helpless as this babe, and more often in need, enjoy in the active mercies of Christ. Mm. Isn't that a beautiful liturgy it, for just doing a simple thing? It like eloquently change. elevates the ordinary. It, yes, it does. It gives purpose. Mm-hmm. gives weight to it. Nothing glamorous about it. There's nothing glamorous about changing diapers. Okay, let's step in Miriam's head. Her two brothers are standing before Pharaoh constantly saying, let my people go. Yes. Calling down plagues. God is working powerfully and publicly through her two little brothers. We have no account of what she's doing at this time. No, we don't. She's hidden. Her brothers are in the limelight. So just as a fellow broken human being. Yes. Picture that. So glory, glory to God. He delivers his people. He takes them out of Egypt in victory, takes them to the edge of the Red Sea that looks like a totally no-win situation. Pharaoh is pursuing. On one side of them, the Red Sea blocks their passage. Mm. Miraculously, God, you know, Moses puts his staff down and God parts the Red Sea and makes a path for this nation. Now, we get to see Miriam shine in this moment. They get through to the other side and Miriam picks up her timbrel and starts to praise and sing and dance. She leads <laughs> the women in our first record of a, of a Hebrew national anthem of praise to Yahweh. She's leading it, dancing and singing and praising. Once again, she, she is visibly, publicly being used. I'm going to read Exodus 15, verse 21. This is a part of her song that she sings. Sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider has the Lord thrown into the sea. It's called the song of Miriam and Moses, the song of deliverance. And it's one of the earliest songs in Hebrew literature. You know what strikes me, Nan? What? Um, Moses, when God called him, to go and deliver the people, Moses said, I can't do that. I can't, <laughs> I can't speak. Yeah. Um, Aaron had his own. I wonder if God knew Miriam was a poet. Oh, that's interesting. Miriam was a musician. Like, I wonder if she had song in her. Yeah. And God went, this is your time to use what you have. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. She was not afraid to speak and lead. So this is a glorious moment for Miriam. But we don't hear about her again. till Scholars think it was probably about two years later. When the Israelites are in the wilderness, in Numbers chapter 12, we get to see a little sibling rivalry here. Yeah, we do. And it's a, it is a difficult chapter to read. And it tells us that Aaron and Miriam were challenging Moses' authority. And they say the reason that they're challenging it, it was because he had married a, a woman from Cush, an Ethiopian woman. So Moses' first wife, Zipporah, has died by this time because there's no mention of bigamy here and no indication from the passage that this was at all displeasing to God that he married this woman. But I'm, you know, we wonder, why did Miriam bring this up? Did she feel threatened by this new wife? A few days later, we see the real reason that Aaron and Miriam were grumbling against Moses. They were stirring up trouble among the people and they said, quote, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? (laughs) Has he not spoken through us as well? This is not good. This is a public ridicule. Wow. Embarrassing. Yes. Yes. And it's public ridicule of a man that God has raised up as an intercessor and leader of this nation. This is dangerous territory that Miriam and Aaron have stepped into. Absolutely. 
I love how God leaves in the messy stuff. You know, mm-hmm. was it, they left the land of Egypt and marched into the sea. And it was like, he, he lets us see the very humanness of this struggle, because this is a vivid display of human nature, if there ever was one. Jealousy mm-hmm. was at the heart of it. We can all relate to jealousy on some level, because no doubt there was a certain place of status in between the siblings of Moses with Aaron and Mir- you know, Miriam. Right. Miriam was in the spotlight when they finished crossing through the Red Sea. She enjoyed a role of of being a prophetess. And she led the women in this glorious hymn, like you just read, for God's deliverance. And Aaron had enjoyed being Moses' mouthpiece. You know, he had that role with Pharaoh during the plagues. And he also served as the high priest. The first one. Right, the first one. So they knew how it felt to be important in the eyes of this whole nation. So they were definitely like the big three people yep. here, the big three. But let's look at what it says in Micah 6, 4, because God makes it very clear that in his eyes, he used all three of them. That's right. He didn't just elevate one over the other. Now, Micah was a prophet who spoke to Judah. Judah was the southern kingdom. And right before they went into Babylonian exile, God spoke this through Micah, his prophet, to the people of Judah to remind them that he would take care of them. He had done it before and he would do it again. So this is the amplified translation of Micah 6, 4. Is that right? Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Hold on. Let me pull this up. Yeah, God's reminding the people. He's saying, look, I have taken care of you in the past. By using these three people, I'm going to take care of you in the future. So he says, oh, my people, earnestly remember now what Balak, king of Moab, devised and what Balak, oops, that's the wrong one. Stop, stop. (laughs) Okay, she can edit that. So God says to them through Micah, for I brought you up out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house where you were bond servants. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. They're all three listed. All three listed. Now, Moses was the the main leader. So it seemed like they'd begun to feel left out or ignored, but God did not see it that way. He wanted to remind his people that they were the same in his eyes. Right. Um, They wanted it to feel more like a team effort instead of Moses being the one that had that. You know, they all went in on what Moses was called to do specifically. Right. And what God had asked him to speak through. They were no longer content with the role God had assigned to them. And that is a... uh, that's a pitfall for all, all of us, this, yeah. all of us, because we're constantly comparing ourselves to others. But <clears throat> like I say, this chapter is very difficult to read. God responds quickly, swiftly to this public ridicule, and he calls all three of them out to the tent of meeting to reprimand Aaron <laughs> and Come Miriam. Come to Jesus moment. Come to- <laughs> That's right. And he inflicts Miriam with leprosy right there on the spot. Moses quickly intercedes for her and begs God to show mercy. And God responds with the command that Miriam stay outside the camp for seven days, and then he heals her completely after that. Time out, Miriam. Oh, a painful (laughs) one. God was serious about teaching her to understand and respect the very specific role of Moses as the leader, the intercessor, and the representative of the people before God. It was a unique place. Yes. Uh, Moses had a very personal relationship to God. He spoke to him as one speaks to a friend face to face directly without a mediator. And Miriam had lost sight of the difference between her role and his. 
and her jealousy and her discontent was a serious sin in the eyes of God. You know, Nan, isn't it interesting how she remembered the scripture about God disciplines those he loves? He loved her enough to say, let me show you this is you're out of line and I will heal you, but you're going to have to just sit with this and realize you're wrong. He only does that when he wants better things for us and peace in our lives. He disciplined her out of his love, but her role was not less than Moses' role. It was just different. You know, I think about a lot of young women, especially, that are tormented by social media, Instagram in particular, where everybody's lives look different and put together in a different way or (laughs) called to something better or whatever. And that is not God's way. And that is not what he wants us, how he wants us to live. It's the terrible trap of comparison. It will eat you alive. Listeners, let's all commit to just being set free from that comparison and finding any kind of validation on social media when we know it's not real. It will lead only to discontentment, discontentment, discouragement, and deception. It doesn't build you up. It's not the truth. It isn't truth about how people's lives are going. So we need discernment. I'm into D words right now. That's that's good. That's right. (laughs) It is deceptive and we need discernment. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because her dissatisfaction was she wanted more glory and she wanted the perks and the goodies that Moses and Aaron were getting. Mm -hmm. And she cared more about her self-exaltation. Oh, my goodness. We live in a culture of me, me, me. Look at me. Aren't I doing great? Uh, This is nothing new. No. (laughs) So it's an owie for me. This hits home. I I get it. (laughs) I do, too. I understand this. She wanted to feel important. And the thing, again, that I love about the Bible is we get to see the flaws in these people in their best and their worst moments. Miriam is so very human to us. I see myself in her. We all see ourselves, but it also gives us hope. That's right. Because we all have good moments and bad moments. And in looking at the lives of these women, we say, we see, we say something about this in the intro of the musical. You know, we see all the warts and all of yeah. what's going on. <laughs> but God does not give up on us in the middle of our failures. That is our hope. The hope and the beauty of the gospel is that we need salvation and our performance never saves us. Hallelujah. I mean, thank God. It is the finished work of Christ Jesus on our behalf and settling ourselves into him. We are accepted in Christ no matter how well we perform on any given day. Hallelujah. (laughs) Well, Miriam, though, felt less than appreciated and maybe a little invisible, and we all identify with that. But we have to remember that and take heart, preach to our souls, and remember our quiet, unseen walk of obedience and worship is highly esteemed in heaven. The important person is watching, sees it all. And no matter who sees or doesn't see what we do down here, we know that God is watching. He sees with eyes of love and he is pleased, delighted when we keep walking by faith. And I love the, the, um, passage in Micah chapter 3 where, I'm sorry, no, not Micah, Malachi. It's Malachi chapter uh, 3 where where, uh, the Bible describes a heavenly accounting of our small deeds of faithfulness. Uh, It's verses 14 through 18 of Malachi 3 where God describes uh, his people as being discouraged and they're saying it's not worth it to serve God. There's no profit in it. We've, we've walked the hard road of obedience, but what's the point in it? Because the arrogant keep disobeying the arrogant (laughs) keep doing evil and they get away with it. I so relate to that. I do too. I totally relate to that. Uh, But the passage uh, says that those who feared God talked to each other and the Lord was listening. Wow. 
also I mean, I'm remembering all through the word uh, Abraham's life, Noah's life. Their faith was what God credited righteousness to. Their faith. Right. Their faith. They believed They weren't God. perfect people. Right. But they believed God. That's what he saw. And that book in Malachi, that's a book of remembrance that was written before God. I remember as my dad was leaving this earth to go to heaven, I was the one by his bedside. And I would read to him over a three-day period. He had Alzheimer's. And he would stare into my eyes. I know that he heard me. He couldn't speak. But the right before he passed, and I don't often read the book of Malachi, <laughs> I opened to this book. And oh, I read goodness. to my dad, your, your name is written in the remembrance before God. And my dad passed about two minutes later. Oh, It was one of the last things I said to him. It that's was Malachi. glorious. And I hadn't planned it. it I didn't so, know that. So sweet. To remind my dad that, that his name is in the book of remembrance before God. It's that sweet book that's recorded memory. the names. God gave you a real gift bomb. He did. By letting you read that he to totally him did. right before he It was a holy moment. Um, and when these saints, these names were written, what did they say? They preached that you said them. They rehearsed it to their souls. Mm-hmm. They reminded each other that it's always the right thing to do to walk in obedience, to be faithful no matter what we see the evil, arrogant people getting away with all around us, we are being bombarded with seeing evil get away with a lot. But God sees what's going on. We've got to encourage each other to keep on keeping on, no matter how, how bad it feels or good it felt, no matter what they thought their rewards were or not here on heaven, and, and I mean, on this earth. So when you and I feel frustrated or ignored, were marginalized or put on the shelf, maybe unappreciated. The key to this piece is to get together with other people yeah. that believe in Christ and say this back to each other, preach it to each other's souls, mm-hmm. remind each other of the steadfast love and faithfulness of God. Miriam, she needed that encouragement, and so do we. You know, Bon, speaking of keeping records and keeping books, many years ago, I started a habit that I want to encourage our listeners to think about maybe doing. Uh, I began at the end of each month, Keep I, I have a little book every year. I buy a new one and I call it my blessing book. Yes. And I sit down at the end of each month. I like the calendars that are a month at a glance. And I write down on my calendars appointments that I have or, you know, who I had dinner with or, you know, just, just little events of the month. So I sit down at the end of the month, and in my blessing book, I write down all the blessings I can remember of that particular month. That's so good. That God gave me, and they're small ones. They're little. Um, Maybe it was, you know, a a conversation I had, or it's just just the, the, the mundane things of my days in that month. And I write down all the places I see God blessing. And, and I have a record of each month year by year of what God did. Yes. And the purpose of doing this is to remind myself of how faithful he is. You're rehearsing. I'm preaching to my soul. Yeah, preaching to your it's soul. It's my own book of remembrance of how good he is. Amen. And I just think, and I don't show it to anyone. Nobody knows I do this. Yeah, I love this. Now some people know. But but it's a great habit to get into if you want to encourage yourself to keep trusting his faithfulness. So I'm keeping my own books. God, obviously, according to Malachi, is keeping his books of those who are walking faithfully, unnoticed by others, but not unnoticed by God ever. And his word promises that there are ongoing conversations in heaven 
right now about us. That's right. The cloud of witnesses. These are not gossipy words of condemnation going on in heaven, accusing us of failure after failure. Instead, these conversations in heaven are words of delight. Every time we choose to believe him, to revere him, to worship him. So we can believe, dear listeners, that our faithful words and deeds are actually written down in a book in a library (laughs) of heaven published for all eternity. And we may live unnoticed right now, but one day God himself is going to publicly, before all the hosts of heaven, declare you to be his crowning jewel. The volumes of heaven are filling even now with accounts of our faithfulness. And one day, maybe, Bon will browse rows of books (laughs) in a fabulous library in heaven. What a glorious thought. And come across a volume containing the account of our days. And it will tell of our faithful acts of doing laundry. And as you read, changing diapers, doing dishes, meals prepared, carpools driven. All as an offering to Christ, done with love and tenderness. And you might just read of a moment you took the hand of a discouraged friend at work and said, don't give up. Right. God is faithful. And you might just stare in amazement as you read of times you cleaned up vomit, (laughs) moments you've forgotten, wiped a feverish forehead, said nightly prayers for your angry, rebellious teenager, encouraged someone to believe God. And you'll be shocked to see that he noticed Everything, even all the times you bit your tongue <laughs> yeah. when you wanted to say something, when you wanted to lash out, maybe at a rude coworker, but didn't. He knows. He sees. Absolutely. And he's proud of you. Absolutely. I think one of the worst, most effective tactics the enemy uses in our lives is to take the failures, the little ones, especially to stack that we all experience where we know we fall short mm-hmm. and say, this is who you are. This is who you are. The accuser. The accuser, the liar, the accuser that has the audacity to walk before God and accuse God's people. But God says, no, I see her in my son. Perfect, righteous, holy in my son, covered in my son. I don't see all the other stuff. Mm -hmm. The word tells us he forgets as far as, you know, Mm -hmm. as as he can, as much as he can. But we've got to stop thinking um, that maybe our lives aren't even interesting reading. Or that so, God yeah. is an angry scorekeeper. That God, yeah, God is an angry scorekeeper. That's what so many people are are afraid of, I think, mm-hmm. and it's so not true. What angry scorekeeper gives his heart to die for us? That's Good point. love. That's Good. love. Good point. And you think maybe your life is boring and Miriam's is really, you know, super interesting. <laughs> well, it might not be interesting to you, but God has recorded it. He delights in you. He takes note. He's waiting eagerly to reward you. I love that scripture in Isaiah 49, 16, where it says that God says, behold, I have indelibly imprinted and tattooed a picture of you on each of my hands. (laughs) I see your walls are ever before me. Your picture is on the hands of God every day. He sees you ever before him. He's not going to forget you. He's not going to think your life doesn't matter. (laughs) You might be thinking, what? I'm not going to get a reward for just, you know, staying in the carpool line or changing a diaper. (laughs) But don't take our word for it. Let's look at what it says in Hebrews 11, 6. And without faith, 
It is impossible to please him. But he who comes to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I love that verse. Yes. God is not only looking for those who believe he exists, because most people believe that. So do the demons. On some level. They believe he exists. they acknowledge it. Right. God is looking for those who believe he is a rewarder. Yes. That's good. No good thing you say or do escapes his loving gaze. And he sees you in the bulrushes of your life. And his books are full of your courageous acts of of obedience. The rewards (laughs) that await are the never-ending stream of delights that will come with more and more revelation of his glory throughout the eons of eternity. That's what heaven's going to be. Yeah, one wow after another. One wow who after he is. There's nothing boring right. coming our way. Right. And what does it say? The eyes have not seen, ears have not heard what waits for us, right. what is being prepared. All is, yes. Get your imagination in line with that. Think about it. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. And, and, and if God is a record keeper in your head, like Nan said, uh, that scares you, listen to his words in Psalm 32. How blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the one to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. Or Psalm 130. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, who could stand? Mm -hmm. But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. So ladies, when you trust the work of Jesus on your behalf, your sins are forgiven. Nan and I are just saying the word of God says that. Right. And the only record keeping God does is very different. I mean, Romans 4, it says, what does the scripture say? And Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Reckoned means accounted. Abraham's faith in God's promises were deposited, as Mm -hmm. it was, into Abraham's account as righteousness. Not Abraham's righteous deeds, but his faith. Not what he did, but his faith was what counted and what God recorded. And the same thing is true for you listening and for me, for all of us. Our faith in him is deposited as righteousness in our account. Our faith is in the finished work of Christ Jesus on our behalf. And that's what God is keeping score of, keeping record of. Now, we we do obey. We have works of righteousness. Sure. We're called to obedience. It comes from faith, though. And it comes, absolutely, it comes from faith. And it comes from, as you daily mature and realize more and more how much he loves you, you want to serve him. But you know it's not your service that saves you. I saw something from a pastor this week that said, in an equation, faith equals salvation plus works. But if you put the works on the front part of the equation, you lose the gospel. Uh, Faith plus works equals salvation? No. No, faith equals equals salvation plus works. That's right. It, well, our works are the evidence yeah, of our it's faith. the evidence, right. Right. So, uh, we're all of us like Miriam, aren't we? Yes. She had her own share of messy <laughs> moments and lapses in judgment. But a shining moment came for her. She was tapped on the shoulder as a little girl. She stepped up. She did what was necessary to protect her baby brother. Princess of Egypt agreed to Miriam's suggestion that she find a Hebrew mother to nurse Moses till he was weaned. This is such irony. (laughs) Not only did God save Moses' life, he arranged for the daughter of Pharaoh to actually pay Jochebed to nurse her own son. I love this mission accomplished. Only God. Only God. We like to imagine in the musical that we do this scene between Jochebed and Miriam when they're reunited on that day. Uh, We're wondering if Miriam was hiding nearby, just waiting for word, her heart pounding, waiting for her little girl to come home, hoping for a miracle. The thoughts that might be racing through her mind. Um, Was Miriam safe? Had she been taken too as a prisoner? Was Moses dead or drowned? 
Mm-hmm. And suddenly, Jacobin looks up, and Miriam is running toward her, covered in mud and laughing, carrying the basket. <laughs> is Moses still inside? <laughs> Miriam opens the basket and shows her mom. There is baby Moses, the future leader of the Israelite nation, probably desperately needing a diaper change. <laughs> maybe maybe the scene went like this. Mama, the princess wants to adopt him. <laughs> He's not going to die. She wants you to take care of him. So it happened as we planned. Were they bathing? Yes, Mama. Just like you said, she smiled when she saw him. Praise God, my baby will live. I think I did good, Mama. I think it's all going to be good. Yes, my darling daughter, you did. Now... Let's get away from this river and get you home into some clean, dry clothes. Oh, I just love the thought of that. <laughs> they could have been planning a funeral for little Moses that day. Uh, that I, I'm struck again, too, with just how children are always in danger. Children's lives in every generation are always in danger. They could have been planning a funeral, but instead, baby Moses was alive and well And in the end of this story, nursing at his mother's breast. (laughs) Amazing. It is incredible. And even though Miriam could, again, have no idea how Moses' life would roll out, um, at least she knew that she had done her best that day. And maybe as she went to bed that night, maybe hearing him making some noise, (laughs) she might have thought, I met the princess of Egypt today. I saved my baby brother's life. I mean, surely, Nan, she slept well that night, relieved and knowing that... Any future babysitting responsibilities <laughs> would never quite match the challenges of that day. <laughs> Hopefully. Hopefully. So let's um let's join the amazing Jonathan Edwards and write our own resolved right. for for us, for our listeners. Resolved. I will step into the impossible bulrushes of my life and trust God who says, Is anything too hard for me? <laughs> Oh, we have so many prayers for you listening. We pray for you that in the moments that you're surrounded by those 10-foot-tall bulrushes that look impossible, relationships that look impossible to be healed, people you love that you're praying for to come to Christ, situations where you've lost jobs or you've lost more than you thought you could bear, whatever your bulrushes are, ladies... We hope that this story about the courage of Miriam to trust God in impossible situations will give you a kernel of of courage today where you are to trust God in the name of Jesus. Amen. We pray that. Little baby, tiny child, travel I can hide you here no more. May you Yeah.
secret currents of the night Ancient gods on me smile I have all a princess needs Now this babe from the compensated upon his return. Now go. Greater forces work their will this day. Join us next time when we look at the life of another woman named Tamar. She's the daughter of King David. We want to 
thank some special people whose help made this podcast possible. Thank you, James Hollihan, the brilliant producer of our musical. And thank you, Michelle Marciata, the editor and producer of this podcast. And thank you, Wayne Gurley, for helping us from the very beginning to make this dream a reality. And thank you to the best audience anywhere, women who dare to believe. 